Hello, this is Charles Wiz. And Tony Silva. And we're Two Teachers Talking, a podcast about teaching and the issues of teaching in Japan, teaching English. It's a time where Tony and I get together and talk about what's happened in the classroom, what we've been doing, what we're doing when we're not teaching, when we're outside of the classroom, some things that maybe we ordinarily wouldn't talk about with other teachers, things we always would talk about with other teachers. And uh, on this 25th episode, as we are starting up for the school year, which in Japan starts in April. We're going to kind of look back and talk about um, why we teach, why we're still teaching after all these years, what we get out of it, what we don't get out of it, what are the issues. And I think it's an interesting topic, Tony, because between us, we have something like 54, 55 years of teaching experience, I think. A lot, a lot, many, long, long time. Yeah, so how are you feeling with the vacation ending and school starting up and i have that love-hate relationship mm, <laughs> how about I'm, you uh, this year this year i'm ready this year i'm ready <laughs> and the other years i'm not <laughs> <laughs> i'm uh, amazed that the vacation is over that it's <laughs> the time has passed so quickly and how little i got done and how tired i feel and how could it possibly be, be the beginning of another school year but yeah. i don't feel that way this year really mm-hmm. and what do you think accounts for that uh, did a lot less traveling. Ah, uh, okay. I guess uh, speechless just, on this. Just, and yeah, such well, a... just, yeah, just a lot of more, lot more time to myself, a lot more time to get things organized, and just didn't push myself that hard. So, yeah, no surprise. But mm-hmm. uh, one interesting thing, um, just when you were doing the intro, I realized special day, uh, episode twenty-five. This is our one-year anniversary. Is it now? Mm. So, a really good time for us to kind of think about, well, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this podcast? <laughs> that too, but <laughs> actually, I'm context, sure, yeah, I'm sure people, we... people who are listening are wondering, why are these guys doing this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, hope... I mean, the whole thing about, you know, anniversary and a new year beginning and things, and it's like, yeah, what, what are we doing? Well, I think that's interesting in the sense that it's, that's the value of a cyclical type of career. Mm. Where I don't know if um, I haven't spent that much time outside of academia. I mean, some time outside. But I don't know if it cycles in the same way that we're used to. I guess maybe politicians would understand it. Politicians would understand it. And I guess maybe if you're working in some facet of the accounting department where you're really, exactly. your job is really closely tied to the fiscal year and the quarterly reports right. and so forth and so on. Otherwise, but, I think um, the schools are going to get that the most. Right, and so we have this kind of cycle, not kind of cycle, we definitely have a cycle. It has its ups and downs and its own rhythms. And uh, um, what was it Tom Waits said? Um, Even roadkill has its seasons. (laughs) (laughs) So this idea that at the end of the semester or end of this vacation, it's the beginning of the year, the planning, the... Go, you know, thinking about what you're going to do, thinking about that first day of class. It's all very interesting. Um, I actually had the that terrible feeling that I always get when I'm really beginning to implement the syllabus for a class. I'm trying to put it up in Moodle, let's say, or get the exact scheduling and sequencing down. And even after so many years, I thought, you know, I still don't know how to do this right. Mm-hmm. I had that feeling, that kind of scary um Frightening, uh, paralyzing. <laughs> yeah, and it happens every year. You you walk into the classroom and you know, how do I do this? <laughs> oh no, no, not even walking into the classroom. I'm talking about sitting down and trying to figure out the sequencing of my activities in in each class and second guessing myself. So, you know, the, for example, I have some presentation classes I have to teach. Um, one's at the graduate level and the others at the undergraduate level. And I actually started, you know, asking myself really deeply, is what I'm scheduled, what I've scheduled here, is it the appropriate sequencing for teaching students how to make presentations? You know, that second guessing. Mm -hmm. So that's been interesting. I don't know if it's been interesting. No, it's not. It's not been interesting. It's been (laughs) (laughs) irritating and painful and it's put me into a terrible mood and my wife doesn't want to talk to me. And she's kind of like, oh, lesson planning again, aren't you? (laughs) <laughs> she knows that there's like grading papers and lesson planning. I'm supposed to go to the room and not come out until I'm done. Mm. So you need a cave. Huh? Sometimes I think I do. And that's interesting, though. The nature of the job is, is this interesting combination of solitary work 
and mm. basically social interaction on a very high level. Yeah, the the planning the, the planning part for me is not such an irritant. I don't I don't not having that much of a hard time with it. <clears throat> maybe because I just do, maybe I just do so much less planning, but uh, I don't think that's the case. But what I've found works um, really well for me is uh, utilizing you know having you know switched you know over the years gradually sometimes and sometimes very quickly uh, to the um, you know, digital records. Mm. Uh, digital planning for classes and things. So for me, it's very easy when I'm setting up for the for a new year to look right back at the week by week plan that I did last year, and it's very easy to say, "Oh yeah, that that went really well," or "That <laughs> that didn't work." So this needs this part needs some work. And when I make the plans for the you know for the for the new year, it's it's um. It's not that bad. I mean, it doesn't put me in a bad mood. It's uh, it's 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 work. Um, you know, it's it's not sitting by the pool, but it it doesn't it doesn't make me nuts. Hmm. I think for me, it's the reason is looking again at whether or not I'm teaching the right things. Hmm. And as you you mentioned, you the use of digital hmm. um, methods of teaching. I, of course, I can easily just import. That's a nice thing for in Moodle, right? I can just import one class into another, and the whole the whole year is right, done. But right, right. I'm thinking, just looking again, as am I doing the right thing? What do these students need? How is the world going to change? Yeah, but of for course, me, for me, that doesn't that, that I kind of enjoy that part of it. It's not for me. It's not an irritant. So I'm I think I enjoy thinking about it. I, the irritant is coming up with the <laughs> implementation. And doing it well. And that's, you know, when I sit back and sometimes I think, why am I doing this? And right, which brings us to the real original question of why we're, we're teaching. Mm, mm. And I was just wondering, after all these years, why do you still get excited? I know that when I talk with you, you're always happy to be going back into the classroom, although we're also very happy to be getting our vacations. Don't get me wrong there. But what is it that keeps you just jazzed, you know, excited? Um thrilled or happy to be a teacher why are you still teaching what are you getting out of it well one of the things that makes it you know this is a very recent thing um for me one of the things that makes it a whole lot easier is that um for me of a certain age um i'm getting a glimmer of that light at the end of the tunnel and i'm becoming increasingly aware that i have only you know, X number of years left of teaching. And like with many things, if, you know, if it's, if it's something that you really hate, that's a great relief and you can see the end in sight. But if it's something that you enjoy for whatever reason, which we will talk about today, um, and I do enjoy it immensely, something that you enjoy, it really changes your attitude and you really start to focus more and more on the positive and savoring the good parts I think I think the other part of it is you know a very at a very basic level and not to toot my own horn, but you know after you talked about how long we've been doing this after having done this for so long, um, I'd like to think that I've gotten better at it, and you know at a very basic level there's just a a, a joy of you know a job well done of doing something uh, of mastery on. Um, yeah, obviously, I don't have that feeling walking out of uh, every class, every class that I teach. But it happens much more frequently than it did years ago when it never happened. Okay, well, here's a question: How often does that happen? That feeling that you really feel like, ah, I've really mastered this craft. Um, before I answer, I'll say that it has probably has a whole lot more to do with the classes that I teach, the specific classes that I'm teaching, and which school I'm teaching at. And so because, oh, again, over the years, I've been able to negotiate and uh, manipulate and put myself in positions where I'm at, teaching at some schools that are very nice to teach at, um, I'll get that more than a couple of times a week. Hmm. I can, if, if, I don't get, if I don't get that four times a week, it's a bad week. Hmm. And out of how many classes? Uh, seven, 17, 18. So 25% of the time you're walking out going, damn. Home I've run. Na- I've nailed it. 
Uh-huh. I've got it. I've uh-huh. kind of figured this game out. So, yeah, so I kind of feel like Hank Aaron. Maybe more like Mickey Mantle. <laughs> I feel more like Mickey Mouse. <laughs> but I think that's a good point, which is, right? So basically, you're, you're, you're batting 250. Yeah. yeah. Right, using the American analogy for baseball, or the Japanese, I guess it would work too, mm-hmm. is that if you're feeling really good 25% of the time, you're probably in the, in the t- upper end of people who are satisfied with their teaching performance. Oh, absolutely, with teaching, because teaching is just, it's, you know, and again, going back to my, my own experience, it's um, getting positive feedback and getting that kind of satisfaction is is so elusive. It's, 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 a, it's an unattainable almost thing because, you know, you're not going to get, you're certainly not going to get praise from your superiors. <laughs> they, you're, they don't have any idea what you're doing. They have no idea what's happening. Um, except for the odd occasion when one of your students does extremely well. And I don't think you can, you might get praised for it, but you know yourself, you know, honest with yourself, how much of that really is you and how much of that is the student. And you really can't take credit for a lot of those kids' successes because it's it's them. Um, I mean, obviously, you're not hurting them. You're not getting in the way. And, and in the best case scenario, you're helping them. Uh, but it's not, it's not you. Um but uh, one getting direct feedback from the students is, as as you know, a, a very rare thing. Mm. Uh, but also the other part of it is you being able to observe and perceive the success, however you want to define that, whether it's you know actual progress in terms of test scores, whether it's you're noticing students' usage. Do you, if you notice just like a, a different kind of mood in the class, a different level of exchange that you're having, either with the student, among yourself, with yourself and the students, or the students among themselves, whatever, whatever aspect of that you can glean some kind of like positive reinforcement from. For a teacher, that's a that's a it's a very rare thing. Mm. It, you know, if you're a carpenter, you, you know, you build a desk, you got that. You got a beautiful desk. You can look at it and go, "This is, I got a desk." And you know, you teach. At the end of the day, you pick up your papers. You look. What have you got? You got an empty classroom. And that's what you'll see on your last day. <laughs> and what you'll see on your last day. But it's interesting, Tony. I use that same analogy about being a carpenter. Hmm. You can even a mechanic, a car mechanic. Tangible example. results. Exactly. Concrete. Tangible and tangible in the sense that not only are they real, but they're immediately visible. You have immediate feedback. Right. And I find it really interesting that in our field, there's a lot of talk about feedback and corrective feedback and how, what kind of feedback students need so that they can perform better, so that they can improve on their mistakes, correct their errors. Very little that I've heard about in terms of teach feedback for teachers. Mm-hmm. How do teachers obtain feedback? so that they can tell whether they're doing a good job or whether they're being effective. I think you're right in the sense that a lot of our assessment of how we're doing is based on the occasional comments from a student or the interaction with a student, some telltale sign that tells us we're doing the right thing. Mm. Um, I know that I had one at the end of the semester when a student who had not been too motivated, a student at my school, good, good, you know, person, but there's some issues in terms of another person, they're kind of returnees, not kind of returnees, they are returnees. And the other student is very serious and has spent a lot more time overseas and is so appears to be more fluent. And I had a talk with that student and that student just kind of started blossoming. And actually when they turned in their final paper for my class, I was shocked at how good it is. And then I just happened to look at the inform, you know, the, the properties that went to statistics on Microsoft Word and realized that this student had spent an incredible amount of time revising their paper, hmm. much more than they had on their previous papers. So it was great to see that having a little chat with somebody and talking to them could have an effect. And then over the break, they sent me an email asking me for recommendations for a reading list, mm-hmm. you know, which I think maybe is the ultimate compliment to a teacher. Mm-hmm. What should I read? Please tell me what you think is good reading. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. That was fun. So I, I, although I have to admit, I was pretty 
uh, taken aback because suddenly it's like, well, what should I recommend? It was a good, <laughs> interesting. So I ended up recommending, of course, The Catcher in the Rye, mm. and oh, then good. and then Richard Feynman. <laughs> Surely you're joking, <laughs> Mister Feynman. <laughs> Which I then thought, you know, that's not a bad one-two punch. <laughs> But, yeah, the feedback's important, I think. So one reason you still continue to teach is that you think time's limited in sense, so it's pushing you a little. Also, you're getting positive feedback. What about what happens when you're getting nothing? Or my favorite word, bupkis, right? <laughs> what do you do when, you know, you go in and you bust your butt and you really think you've done a good job? You've, you're sweating because you're working so hard. You're doing everything right. And there's no, no reaction coming back to you. How do you feel in that situation? Well, I probably feel the same way you do. <laughs> <laughs> and how is that? <laughs> I mean, um, you know. Please I mean, dare, do tell like, me how I there's feel. There's anger directed to the student. There's anger, anger directed to yourself. There's frustration. There's self-doubt and, and you know, the whole gamut. But, um, again, experience, uh, the first thing I, I – do and this is maybe something of a survival instinct i i kind of sit back and ask myself well one maybe maybe i'm trying too hard you know the, the first thing you ask yourself is of course is maybe you're expecting too much right you maybe you just need to adjust your expectations but i think maybe that's the first thing you think of but maybe it's the last thing you should maybe implement or leave as as, as a choice um and maybe maybe the teacher's trying too hard uh maybe you're trying too hard to steer them in a direction that they don't want to go in or don't need to go in or is in some other way inappropriate. Um, again, anti-intuitive, against intuition, <clears throat> loosen the reins a little bit, uh, lighten it up, <clears throat> um, go to games. Um, odd, oddly, and, and again, counterintuitively, they look bored, they look, in a sense, um, talk with them. Uh, you can you can open again if the class is small enough and you've and you've got that option, um, playing up the personal aspect of it and bridging, uh, creating a bridge with the students in that way can very often pay off uh, in making them all open to all kinds of other traditional classroom input activities, whatever it might whatever's going on. Um, because you've built that personal bridge. So yeah, back, I, I back off. Mm. I, I start yeah. trying a little bit less. I start, I push less. Okay. But I'm thinking about the situations where you do all that and you still get bupkis. And I realized that, um, as I was listening to you and, uh, you know, the strategies you were just mentioning and how to deal with it, that in a lot of ways, it's, it's an issue of ego. Right. I want satisfaction. And that's actually taking me away in some ways, I, want, I think, from my role. What's the reason I'm up there? The role, I'm, I'm not up there to get satisfaction for me. My job is to teach, is to help students learn. So I wonder if that's, I should study more Buddhism. Yeah, I don't, but I, yeah, well, okay, if you want to get Zen, I don't know how well you can separate those yeah. two things if it is, because if, if you're a good teacher... Um, should wouldn't your satisfaction by definition come from not from your your the praise for yourself or your status your ego but from progress and improvement on the part of the students isn't that where your satisfaction should be der deriving from right the grammar yes <laughs> <laughs> well I'm just kind of tossing that out as a yeah, question yeah. you know i just don't know because what's well, a balancing act right yeah right i mean i always like the buddhist aspect of things right but did i ever tell you about the time that i was talking to a buddhist priest and i said something to the lines of i said i'm really really scared of dying and the buddhist priest looked at me and says well you understand that that's your ego and i said yes but it's my ego <laughs> it doesn't make it any less real and, and he just looked at me like i'm sorry you're just hopeless <laughs> You absolutely don't get this, do you? <laughs> but I think that there's two two ways to look at it. One is that if I am satisfied and I'm doing it to get satisfaction, I'm going to be a better teacher. I don't think it's going to take me down a bad path. Mm. And the other thing is that it is frustrating when I don't see students achieving. Not just for myself feeling ineffective, but for uh, 
they could do so much they could go so far and i think again that's the a key point that keeps me motivated is watching seeing the actually let me rephrase and start over here as i mumble away i think the most rewarding and least rewarding moments revolve around seeing students getting it when their eyes just mm-hmm. light up and you see ah I've helped somebody get to a point where they're connecting the dots and they are really enjoying it. You know, that, that's a feeling I talked about before. Right. Right? Yeah, it's that home run. It's like, yeah. it's like you know, you, you guys, people who've played baseball, when, you, when, you, when the ball hits the bat, you don't have to see the ball go over the fence. You know, that bang, that was it. Yeah, that feeling. It's like, bam, you're in the zone, you're mm-hmm. there. And it's, yes. it's a wonderful thing. And then when I think I've done everything perfectly and it should be, <laughs> and it does the opposite. <laughs> Strike three. <laughs> no, I, I, no, actually, I kind of feel like um, Randy Bass. <laughs> I think when he was going for the single season home run record, where, you know, I can't even, I'm not even going to get a chance to swing. Things are so far out that it's just hopeless. And I, the more, more t- I think about it, you know, it's like you have to think, what what, what went wrong? What did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. Right? And I th- think it kind of goes to the rules of timing. So there was a, a um, this guy was a bodyworking teacher. He had come up with his own system. Very interesting man. I forget his name. Um, but he, he once talked about the four rules of timing, which was, number one, good thing, best thing is right thing at the right time. Then he said the second best thing is the wrong thing at the right time. The third best or second worst thing was the wrong thing at the wrong time. But he said the absolute worst thing you could do was the right thing at the wrong time. And I always found that very fascinating and interesting. That if you, you know, it's true. If you think back to your adolescent years, your teen years, people were telling you things that were really true, really right, that could have helped your life, but it was the wrong time for it. And that made you nuts. So I think that I go back and look at, am I doing this? Is it the right time? Is it the wrong time? There's a timing issue here. But when it's right, it's the greatest feeling in the world, I think. Mm. And Mm. when it doesn't work, I feel bad. Well, yeah, I mean that, but that's that's totally natural, and I, you know, and uh, one way to look at it—that's very California of you—is ego. Thank you. No, one way to look at it is as you know, that's an ego thing. But why not? Um, and here, here I am talking like a Californian. But um, why that is? Yeah, you're I doing think a very a, good job of it too. Yeah, well. Don't, Dude, don't how are the waves? <laughs> <laughs> now you're not sounding like a Californian. But, Dude, but, don't push me. <laughs> That's your East Coast coming back. You have saved yourself from oblivion in the West Coast. <laughs> Do you ever travel to the West Coast? Um, I have. I've, I've been to I've, the West Coast. I've stepped... <laughs> put my feet on the land there. <laughs> Somehow there. I cannot see you in Southern California. I, I can't say I make all. a habit of it, but I have been there. Okay, okay. All but right. uh, that uh, that um, that Zen joy of mastery um, is is not something that we should be run away from or be ashamed of, and you know, and I've I've been lucky enough to have it in a, in a couple of different contexts. Um, you know, you know, when I was living in the states and on the east coast, but in Chicago. Um, I don't know what it's that the Midwest. Yeah, there we go, the Midwest, and I'm not. Yeah, well, let's call it Chicago because Chicago's not Midwest. It's a thing in and of itself. Not the Midwest. Well, either. I'll, I'll, a, let, I'll let you say Not the say Corn that. Belt or the Bible Belt or anything. It's Chicago. I'll let you say that. That's I will okay. say that. I'll let you get away with that <laughs> for right now. Um, but whether it was, you know, when I was racing cars uh, and uh, you, you, know, you, you, you put together a lap where, it, it, you know, very little time in that lap was the car actually going straight. And you just balance it perfectly right around all the courses. Like this, you don't have to look at the clock. You know, it was just wonderful. Um, in the karate dojo where you're, where you're fighting and you, you realize almost in the moment where you, you've just ducked or moved for no conscious reason, but sure enough, there was a a kick that just <laughs> punched right through where your head used to be. And uh, you, you, you moved, but you didn't know why. You didn't think about moving. You just moved. Um, 
that is not something uh, that I don't think we should be ashamed of or striving for because it's what we do. You know, whether you're a race car driver, you're a mixed martial arts fighter, or whether you're a teacher, um, if you're doing that, then by definition, your kids are learning. Because it's because it's not it's, it's what you're doing is is not a one way thing. It's, it's it's like fighting, right? It's not a one way thing. It's there's a dynamic dynamic involved there, and if the kids aren't getting it, you're not you're not there, and you're not feeling you're not getting back. It, it really is a very interesting dynamic process that's happening where if you're get if you got that feeling, your kids are getting that feeling too, and that's the magic, and that's why we do this. I think that's why I do it. When it happens, when it happens, well, you like again, you're not. And we're, I, I don't get I, that. I don't get yeah, that eighteen times a week. That's for sure. Well, I'm saying getting it four times a week is just yes, good. four times a week is. And I'm think, happy, and I think both you and I are very fortunate. We've talked about this that we've been here long enough and been lucky enough, and that we've gotten to be able to teach at some good schools where we're working with good students, mm-hmm. and. Um, and when I say good students, I mean students who want to be in the university and want to learn. Who want to learn, period. And have had positive learning experiences. And I need to you know, emphasize that because some of the best teaching moments in my life was at a, at a two-year junior college at Tandai, um, which is just above the Semongako, I think would be a fair way to put it. Correct. And I had students whose academic abilities were probably on the lower end, but I have never, they were motivated, they wanted to learn. And I don't know if I've ever had as much fun teaching as I did teaching that class. You know, it was 14 students, I believe, 12 to 14 students, a long time ago. But they were so thrilled to have a teacher who was happy to work with them. And that was one of the best classes I've ever had. So I think for me, the uh, variable that's most important is motivation, not ability. If I can work with students who want to learn, are interested in learning, then I, I'm really happy in the classroom. And a lot of that, sorry, Tony, you wanted to say something. I heard that. Go, go, go. Or either you were inhaling <laughs> to stifle your <laughs> anger and comment about my students. No, I'm, I'm smoking again, Charles. No, go ahead. <laughs> Uh, go go go! That's a uh, um, I'm drinking again, right? <laughs> that was uh, what's his name, Rykuder. And uh, okay, so I'm thinking about that. I taught in another school recently that also didn't have what would be called traditionally high level students. And I was looking and I said, "Wait a second! These students don't have the the learning skills or the study skills. They haven't learned that or been taught how to actually." function efficiently and effectively in a classroom and I started doing some work with them and again very very rewarding to see the students who wanted to work really picking up on it and then realizing that the students who I thought had absolutely no interest in the course or may have had a bad attitude they were responding to the fact that I was happy to be working with them Mm. and that was a really really good feeling Mm. Um, that I think I would take over the feeling of working with a really, really talented, bright student. I think I would, I enjoy that more. I think that that's kind of what I really dream about is helping the students who have not had positive learning experience kind of go, wow, this is neat. Learning is cool. That's, I think, what I really live for in teaching. Um, I enjoy that. And it makes me feel good. Anyway, the inhalation. Yeah, the inhalation. It, it goes to, back to motivation. And one of the things you mentioned was um, uh, the uh, the students' uh, prior experiences, whether they've had positive or negative uh, learning experiences. <clears throat> and that I think that makes the job easier or or more difficult. But at the same time, that which and, and I think what you just described, um, mode that motivation is. Like in, in many many cases, most cases, <laughs> if you want to say it, um, is a really big part of the job. Um, anybody can explain. Well, I'm not getting on it. And I'll, I'll say it. Any anybody can explain grammar. Anyone can drill vocabulary, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. 
But explaining it well is well explaining it well. But before even before you begin explaining it, getting the motivate the student motivated. Now, some students come to the class motivated. I've heard. (laughs) Yes, that's that mysterious animal that has been sighted, (laughs) but has never been. No, no, I teach. I teach. I I teach a lot of. I teach a lot of motivated students. You teach a lot of yetis. (laughs) <laughs> well, I don't know what they are, but they're motivated. Big Sasquatch and Yetis. There but they the, are. <laughs> the more common experience is that, yeah, yeah the, the motivation in the student is something that the teacher needs to create or uh, no, develop. No, no, or... no, no, no. Uh, watch the word create. I'm sorry. I'm really going to argue with you on okay, that. Okay, go. Yeah. Um, you cannot create motivation. Oh, I disagree. I think you can. You really? absolutely can. Yeah. Okay, I'm listening. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> what what don't what don't you understand? Um, I know. I, I okay. I know. No, I've had you know, like for example, there's kids who come to class and they sit, you know, and again, this is you know the lower we talked about, you know, the lower end, whether it's an, an ability and their previous performance or their motivation, and you get kids in class and they sit there with their arms crossed and they look at you and say, "Go on, I dare you to teach me something." I dare you. But that's a motivated kid, if you think about it. <laughs> well, it's a question of what he's motivated, Wait, no, motivated no, no. This to, is, this to is drive me to another. No, to no, no. This is my point. This is my point. This is my mm. point. Is that okay. the, a kid who's like, I know exactly the type of student you're talking about. Everybody mm. knows it. It's the kid. And I was one of those students a lot of times. You know, I'd go into a class and it's like, okay, it's an elective class. Show me what you can do. But that means that I wanted to learn. There was something there. There was some kind of, uh, you know, embers burning, let's say. I don't think you can create the motivation. I think you can feed it. I think you can nurture it. I think you can create an environment where it can grow. But, um, for example, there's, um, let me see. Um, I'm trying to think of a subject that I would have absolutely no interest in. Um, name a subject in college that I, w- I would probably have no interest in. That you would have no interest in. You would have... I'm thinking. I'm oh. trying to think. I'm, but you understand what I'm saying. Mm. There are subjects that I would just never have taken, even if they were general education. Mm. Okay. I mean, I'm generally interested in most things. But I'm saying, um, um, like, for example, a basket weaving class. Okay. Mm. There's just no way that you're going to be able to create motivation for me because I have zero interest in that. I really believe that. So I take issue with people who say that it's a teacher's responsibility to motivate the students. I think that the students have to come in with something, and it's the teacher's responsibility to tap into that, hopefully, but to imbue motivation. I, I have a real issue with that. Well, I don't know that it, it falls into the teacher's responsibility. I just know that if if you find a way to do that it makes your job a whole lot easier okay i'll I'll grant you that but i just wanted to get nitpicky there yeah 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 (laughs) because i think you know what i'm saying fair enough fair enough i really you can say that the teacher says these students are not motivated someone says it's your job to motivate them under the corner of my eye and bite my tongue right but i want to yeah, I want to go back, though, to the example you used about the student who's sitting there saying, I, okay, dare, yeah, I dare you. That That's the kind of student I love to teach. That That's a student who can be motivated, or not motivated, who can be taught if you approach them the proper way. And it, a lot of it could just simply be personality, right, that your personalities match up, that there's a dynamic there or it doesn't. And if I can get through to that student if i could find some way to get the student to go okay i'll okay i'll come to the next class i want to see what you have that feels really great to me i love that feeling that's another thing i think i live for as a teacher is that kind of student who is just checking out because either they're bored or they just haven't heard anything interesting or they haven't made the connection but that's a great student to kind of teach. You know, that's what the at-risk students, I think, that we've right. worked with before. Right, right, right. And the other, just to go back a, a little bit, uh, back to for what, what, um, what you were saying about when you asked me the question about, you know, when you you do all, you, you do everything you can, you're not getting anything back from the kids. <clears throat> One of the things, um, again, I talk about stepping back. 
uh, give them a chance to let you know how to teach them. Mm, good point. Because uh, you know you you've got your way of teaching. My, my way of teaching. You talk about the kids' past experiences. You know what what they've been saying. A lot of classes where you're you're getting you're, you're you're hitting that wall, you know, and there's there's nothing happening. You know, step back. And it's like, well, you, my, my tools. I got the wrong tools for this for this job here. Mm. This is, we don't need don't need a Phillips screwdriver. What we need is a what we need is a lathe. Um, I would not, never I would never have made the connection from a Phillips screwdriver to a lathe. Exactly, because I, you got the screwdriver in your hand. You're good with the screwdriver. I was thinking hammer. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You say, well, this doesn't work. This doesn't I'm going to put the student go on the outside. Go, go, go. It's a completely different thing. And it, I had this exact experience. I went through you know this class and went through the whole thing, what I thought was my whole toolbox. And I was like, well, no, these kids, these kids are unteachable. Step back. It's like, what what can they do? They mm. they could memorize. They could do something. And and what I had them do then is like step. I had them memorize dialogues. And then we stepped backwards, and I had them create their own dialogues and memorize dialogues and spit back the dialogues. They they were having a ball, and they were speaking English. Mm. Um. Yeah, never, never something that I would have put in my lesson plan at the beginning of the year, but for and that class, um, that's what they taught me that I needed to do. So sometimes that's what's necessary. Yeah. Question. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the questions and the doubts. I think also though. That, um, or did I fail? I don't. I mean, I don't know. It's. Well, I mean, you can look at it and say it's positive because you have what's known as the recency effect and that the last thing remembered will be the way people remember things. Mm-hmm. And that's um, an interesting phenomenon. But I think the fact that you step back and we forget that a lot of time the key to teaching is listening. It's just shutting up and listening to what's go- and seeing what's going on in front of you. And that is something that's taken me a long time to learn. I think we've talked about that, the mm-hmm. difference between being a teacher or a facilitator of learning. We talked about that a couple of episodes ago. And that always feels good when mm. I step back and look and say, no, what am I seeing? Let me just you know, hold my expectations and my perceptions to what I can observe. Yeah, it's and it's it's and that's a, a good feeling though. It's isn't a good it? feeling. It's a good feeling, and it, it it requires confidence, and with a question mark. <laughs> well, because it's not just confidence. <laughs> it, it it's comes, not. There's it more. Comes, to, there's, there's more to, to come. There's more so to come. It requires confidence that that often comes with experience mm. and the knowledge that okay and. It, to be able to to be able to constantly stop and to analyze the situation to look and see what's happening because when you're when you're younger or don't have the experience or don't have the right kind of experience you haven't lucky enough to have the right kind of experience that has taught you to do these things you're the, the normal impulse is to teach harder mm. and that's almost always the wrong thing to do it's like a relationship uh. Uh. <laughs> we should bring our partners in for this. Oh, no, we should. And they're like, no, yeah, no, you're right. They should. No, 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 no. No, if you brought my wife in, she idea. would kind of just like, no, he doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's a really good point that with experience comes confidence, but also the ability to withdraw from the center stage. Mm. And I know that one of the most important changes in my teaching and that's really helped me enjoy teaching a lot more is I just really am not so concerned with whether or not the students like me anymore Mm. that was really important at the beginning I wanted to be liked I wanted to be somebody they related to etc etc you know that feeling right Mm -hmm. and now I'm confident enough to say yeah you know you might not like me but in a few years you'll you'll get it and that's a big difference uh, to how I 
walk into the classroom and it frees me up to be who I am even more. And it allows me to sit back and change things and observe because I don't have to worry so much. And I like that, but mm. I think it's an interesting question about when to pull back and knowing that. And again, that's another reward that I think is maybe part of the craft rather than the enjoyment of teaching is, ah, I knew enough to do the right thing there, to do something I would have not have done in the beginning, which is a way of being able to measure how you've improved as a teacher. Sure. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no, you're abs no, absolutely right. I was, I was giving you enough room to, to, to run with it. Because... You were giving me enough room to hang myself, Tony. <laughs> you're not giving me enough room to run with something. <laughs> so... no, I just wonder how, you know, how far you're going to go with it. But yeah, absolutely. That situation like, wow. I I, I would mean, never have known this I, in my I could have. I, I, I didn't screw that up. <laughs> Good for me. Yeah, or, or, wow, I've screwed that up for the last 25 years. And, oh, it didn't get screwed up this time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's kind of like sometimes I'm really convinced I have a flat learning curve. Like how many times do I have to learn something before? <laughs> well, as we say in Chicago, maybe next year. <laughs> uh, uh, that's a nice way. of <laughs> Maybe you'll get it next year. <laughs> yeah, it's so there's that combination. I think the rewards of seeing the students succeed, the excellent student doing something great, the student who's traditionally not being successful, getting interested in learning, the at-risk student staying on this side of at-risk rather than going into that danger zone. Those are all rewarding. And I think that then there's the other side, which is just as somebody practicing a craft of, ah, I can, I can see I've learned that. And I think this goes back a little bit to what we started off with, that it's not just seeing the improvement in the students that's difficult. I think it's seeing improvement in myself as a teacher that's also difficult to see. You know, I don't have, because there's, people aren't observing you or you aren't observing other people and seeing things and going, ah, oh, that's how they would deal with it which actually can take me to, I think, which would be an interesting topic, which is the concept of teacher observation. We can do that because, yeah, I've got... One day we have to talk yeah, about that. Yeah, we have to because, talk about that. Yeah, that's like the flipped classroom, you know. Um, I really think that teacher observation is backwards. I want to watch good people work. Yeah. I don't want somebody watching me telling me what I'm doing right or wrong. That's right. helpful. But I want to see somebody really Who knows good. what they're doing. Yeah. yeah. So I, I can, can learn, learn something. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's um, it's kind of like I could get my golf swing. And also there's the other way is that I want to see somebody who is new. So I can uh. see how a new teacher – and I get that chance to do that, by the way, because part of our um, English education program – well, that's right. That's right. Yes, I get teachers. my right. We're training teachers that I get to watch one or two students. I get to observe them in their teacher training. And that's just great because that's when I realize I get feedback. Oh, I kind of do understand what's going on. I can because I have a lot of suggestions. I can see what they're doing, make um, suggestions. I can identify mm -hmm. their good moves and their bad moves. But what really worries me is I just um reading this book on traffic, about traffic and driving by this guy named Tom Vanderbilt. Kind of an interesting read. And, of course, he brings up the fact that most people overestimate their abilities, right? That 75% of all drivers think that they're above average. Really? Yes. <laughs> most people overestimate their abilities. Wow, what a what, what an amazing concept, concept right? <laughs> well, you know, I know it. I know it. But when he, he's, he's putting some statistics together... You know, about like how many people see things on the road and report that they have good vision about seeing things on the road. You know, all the usual things like that. So I have to put a little asterisk next to the fact that I feel like I know what I'm doing. And, uh, but yeah, to feel good, it, as I, as I would say, it feels good to feel good. And sure. as a teacher, I know that's important to me. Well, I, I think it's I, important for anybody. Yeah, well, I, I can only speak for myself. You know, with my limited knowledge of human beings and my lack of empathy, I think. Right, I mean, you're a factory worker, you're a secretary, you're a mechanic. So yeah, well, there are some, no, there are some jobs that just I don't think could be enjoyed. I, I used to I, 
for a while I had to run a Xerox machine for eight hours a day. Yeah. There's, I'm sorry, there's just no job satisfaction in that. There's a lot of people, I think, who are doing jobs that might not be satisfying to... Ah, might not, I think would not be satisfying to them. But maybe, you know, there are people who I think enjoy work that does not require much. But I'm saying I think we're lucky that we have a job that can provide us with satisfaction. And on the other hand, I think I'm lucky that I'm in a job that gives me incredible ups and downs, highs and lows. That makes the experience really rich rather than limiting it into just, oh, you know, it's okay. Or it's always good. And again, we're lucky that it's not always difficult and stressful. Because there are teachers who are working in very difficult environments, and I tip my hat to them. Mm. And, of course, those the people I most admire, by the way, as teachers are the junior high school teachers, our junior mm. high school teachers. I think those people are just the most amazing teachers and the most important people in, our, in any society. If you have middle school, junior high school, those are the people who are really guiding people into safety. Oh, geez, yeah, extremely yeah. important people. And um, never get, never get the credit. The future. That, I mean, they, they never get the credit, the future, right. right? Most important teachers of all, I think. I think far more important than what you or I are doing, even high school, you know, elementary school, those middle school, junior high school teachers. And I just want to tip my hat to all of you, you know, all those people and say, those people should be the highest paid members of our society. They are so valuable and they never get the credit they deserve. Imagine working with adolescents who are just entering or going through <laughs> puberty and all the identity issues and the difficulties of being a 13, 14, 15 year old. Kudos to you people. Let's uh, give them credit. But Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. And I compare my job to that and I think, God, my, jo- my job's a breeze. Yes. And um, just you know, to get back maybe a little bit less specific and a little bit more general, no. that would be the other. <laughs> that would be the other way, wouldn't it? <laughs> pretty. Hey, I see. I'm a pretty bright guy. <laughs> Go ahead. But uh, you know, it's the difference. Like teaching, you know, university in um, Japan, teaching university in the United States, is that you know this uh, this plasticity of the individual that you're talking about with the junior high school students, um, as university teachers in Japan, we get the tail end of that. Mm. Um, in the uh, a university freshman in the United States is a completely different beast. Um, mm. That person is, that person is formed. That's a that's an adult, um, and you you I think for the most part are going to be focused on imparting content. Mm. Um, the eighteen the eighteen year old the university freshman in Japan. For us, it's really like the ultra safe zone because there's enough plasticity, there's enough unformed human there where you can still have a positive, a really big positive effect on somebody, but they're developed enough so that you really can't do that much harm. <laughs> it's a real nice place to be, I think. Mm. Mm. That's an interesting point. It's true. It's you're not going to be able to traumatize them as much as a junior high school or high school teacher or right. an elementary can, school teacher. Because you, you can really do some damage, and I speak from experience at well, the receiving well, end. But yeah, yeah, that's a good. Well, that's what I tell my students, right? Future teachers, I say, you will hurt somebody. You will cause somebody emotional or psychological stress. So it's it's the Hippocratic oath first, right? Do yeah, no do harm. harm. Do no harm. It's it's a great way to go. So yeah, as university freshmen, they're a little bit better able to protect themselves mm. from us and from our mistakes and our stupidity. Mm. Uh, but uh, we still have. Well, speak the for yourself to... on the last part, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we still have the ability to reach out and touch them and ch- and change their lives, which which is yes, a really nice job to have. Yeah, and I think that the, as I say, if I can touch one or two students a year. If I could really reach one or two students every year, I feel I've done a good job. And I don't mean just in motivating them, but I mean really affecting that student in terms of maybe how they think and how they relate to the world. Maybe sure. it's they're you know helping them feel better about the choices they've made, the career choices, um, deciding that they'd rather go overseas and study or they'd rather work in a for an NGO, things like that. But on the other hand, too, it's 
you know what's even a better feeling is the student who affects me. Yeah. Stu- yeah, that is. I have um, one student who um, grew up in France. And so he speaks in French, Japanese, and English. Great kid. He's making his own movies. He's into gaming. And he's introducing me to artists because we just talk. He's um, He does... um some work for me, some paperwork kind of stuff. He's kind of my student assistant. And he's introducing me to these artists and arts, and he'll show me games and things that are just enriching my life. And I just think, God, that's just great. I'm so thankful. And that's a rush in itself, too. And I feel very grateful that I have students who can do that for me. Yeah, some of the students, uh, again, we don't want to create more, but they're already it's so not just motivated. A they're doing so much. And you, you, yeah, you you see what they're doing with their lives, and they're so young, and you just see all that potential in front of them. And it's just it's just a pleasure to be around them because mm. you can just sense that you know the what their lives are going to be like in the future, what they might be like in the future. You can't hard to envision, but you just know it's going to be something. Um, it's 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 very uh, what, what what fun, what fun. yes, exactly, exactly. And when they bring things in for me that I don't know about. Um, when the student introduces a new idea that I, I haven't ever considered, that's also a rush. But to, again, to see the, the student who's successful knows where they're going, that's a great feeling. And to help a student who's flailing, you know, the ones who sure. just need, a, and you realize they just need a little support, a little that's positive it. That's it. feedback. And you just, and you think, you know, this is not going to cost me anything. Yeah, just a hand on the shoulder. It's, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Keep yeah. going. It's okay. I, I remember. Yeah, I, I turned to one student, and they were basically performing at, at average manner, and they did something really well. Did something, you know, much better than I thought they could. And I remember walking up to the student, say, "Stay after class for a second. And I just said, "Look, you did really well today. You did, you know, an excellent job. And I don't think it's a fluke. I think, you know, you can do as much as you want." And then. The smile on that kid's face. Mm. Wow. Mm. And then their performance the rest of the semester was awesome. And you realize, oh, oh I'm, gl- I'm so glad you didn't say awful. <laughs> awful. Well, I've, <laughs> said, oh, I, go, oh, I've no. got those stories, too. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I've got those sto- Yeah, I've, exactly. And, <laughs> you know, that, again, is the, you know, when sometimes we say that we talk about things that might not be talked about ordinarily in the teacher's room are the failures. When I've said the wrong thing, when I've done the wrong thing, and those are, there are myriad occasions where that's occurred, and I those make me feel terrible. Now we talked a lot about that last summer, right? I big, think big screw ups. Yeah, we talked. We had a whole. Yeah, right. Whole, of course, we did. Yeah, but I think thing. I probably was limiting the number. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> well, we only have an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder. Actually, it's a great question. How how long would it take me to go over all my screw ups with saying or doing or interacting with a student in the wrong way? And then there's a scary thought, which is how many of those am I not aware of? Mm. That's even scary. Uh, both ways. Still. Both yeah. ways. By the way, mm. did I affect positively and negatively? You know, again, you know, that's a hard thing, I think, of being a teacher is the, again, going back to that, the lack of feedback, mm-hmm. the lack of knowing. You can't, you know, if I if I build a dining room table by myself, I can see if I've done a good job. Are the legs sturdy? Is it well balanced? It's going to, when am I going to know that I taught the lesson well, that it's going to have a positive effect, an actual effect in somebody's real, in their lives in a real way? And very rarely you get an email or a letter, right, from a student. Mm-hmm. And those are great too, right? Mm-hmm. The ones where they say, "I remember mm-hmm. you," and I just wanted to say thank you. Um, I think I'm still waiting for that email. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons why I'm still teaching, and I, I still enjoy it. I still enjoy those great moments, even when I'm struggling with the sequencing of my lessons. <laughs> And also the challenges, I think, of the job are great. That we're at this. Well, that's, I, the, that's the other thing. Yeah, it's, you know, absolutely. It's it's something that is always gonna. It's a job that's gonna always present challenges, and it just yes, it, it just no matter how long you do this, how long you could you think you are, <laughs> it's every class is is a challenge. Yes, 
And I think the other thing of teaching for so long, I think you'll appreciate this one, Tony. We've talked about this before, is seeing thing, seeing the trends recycle. Mm-hmm. It's kind of mm-hmm. like narrow ties. Mm-hmm. You know, if you hold on to all your clothes long enough, they come can, back in fashion. If you can fit into them after all that time, well. the fashions come back, and we see that in teaching. And I can see, and I can look at it now and go, "Oh, okay, we're trending again." That's also a nice feeling that I feel I've been around long enough to see that. But I look forward to that first day walking into class and uh, hopefully seeing the students' eyes light up that they're happy or they're freaking out like, "Uh uh-oh, who's this guy? Who's this guy with the loud voice? (laughs) It's an interesting job, I think, and it's always challenging us. And it's nice that we we have room to improve and there's a lot of – information there's a lot of research that gets done that helps could inform our teaching sifting through that can be difficult though i think and the oh, sure and the gap between research and practice well yeah because you know frankly most of us i mean we especially as as the year begins um we're so you know frankly overworked i mean things are happening so fast it's bam 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 some of us teaching how many class how many classes in one day uh preparing um, for those classes, there's homework, there's papers to grade, there's other things, you know, obviously other things going on in your life. Um, it's it's a it's a challenge in and of itself to like just be aware of all the things that are happening, and and then what, after you have the awareness, then to try to make sense out of it, build it into some kind of you know picture of what's working, what's not working, what can you can do better, what you're not doing well, what what's you know what's mm. they're doing. What do they think? What do I think? Why? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, there are very often just aren't hours in a day for that. This is true. This is true. It'll be interesting when technology develops to a point where we'll be able to be, you know, be, you'll be wearing your Google Glass and it'll be recording everything and what you see and uh, get a lot of data from that maybe that will inform our teaching and also inform our perceptions of how we're teaching. But it would be nice to get more data that's usable, easily usable. I think oh, I should there, point there's, out. There's a there's a key phrase and a that's uh, right. Big data and all that information usable. <laughs> I need it usable. Yeah, that I can usable easily data. find. Data is no problem. Got data out the wazoo. We need some usable data. Hmm. That's an interesting concept. We should have another talk about usable data. There you go. User yeah, interfaces. It's, well, it's a, it's a it's a it's a survival skill of of the the new world of our modern world, right? Is that with the uh, avalanche and the tsunami of data that we're bombarded with all the time? It's you know how to manipulate that, how to make sense out of it with the resources we have available. <clears throat> that I think is a big key. Hmm. But given all the limitations and issues, I still think as a job, it's Pretty good. I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Not bad. It's not bad at all. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, as far as, you know, if if you had to rank our job, being a, a teacher, a university educator in Japan, it's not too bad at all. Although I imagine that for younger people coming up, it's a pretty hard business right now. It would be really hard. No, it'd be, and there's no way of knowing. You extrapolate, you know, five years, 10 years, 15 years in the future, better, worse. There's no telling, right? Really? It's going to be be a different world. So who knows? Right. And we're going to, well, hopefully we'll get to see how it turns out. Hmm. Let's hope. (laughs) Okay. And on that hopeful note, (laughs) as a semester is starting off, and here we go, kind of like, I feel maybe like the, the crew on an airplane, right? <laughs> that, you know, there's all this action before you take off, then you take off, then there's all these things you have to do. And then there's kind of like the serving of snacks and meals and drinks. And then there's this lull, which is the middle of the semester. Then you serve a meal, and that's kind of like the dinner, um, the midterm. And then it kind of lulls again slightly. And then there's all the activity as you're landing. Has, it, you left out the turbulence. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I don't, I'm sorry. How do you how do you go from turbulence in an airplane to turbulence in a classroom? 
You mean like when you do that activity that absolutely bombs? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I knew that there was this turbulent patch. <laughs> Why do I keep going through it? Can't I fly over it or around it? Flat learning curve again. Yeah. Yes. So. Yeah. Watch, yeah. So watch, watch for the turbulence. Yeah. But on the other hand, a totally smooth flight is kind of scary in its own way <laughs> right if there's no turbulence in your teaching if there's no bumps there's no rough spots it means you're not trying anything new yeah. right good point very good i point. think it could indicate that so i think it's a good point in which to wrap up let's wrap it our 25th yeah. episode of two teachers talking we're oh. on itunes and we're at two teachers talking.com if you want to Send us a message. It's two teachers talking at gmail.com. And there we are. And yes, there we are. Okay, Tony, so we'll be talking with you soon and finding out how things went. Okay, well, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Break a leg. Be well. <laughs>